Hey, uh, do you remember your uh, first summer vacation experience? Remember the first road trip you took as a family? I do. I have a very distinct memory uh, growing up. This was probably in uh, 1981. I was uh, about five or six years old, do the math there. But uh, 1981, the good old days, and there's a couple things that stand out to me about that first kind of uh, family getaway. And we were on our way to California, actually, and uh, had some cousins that lived in California. A few things stand out to me about that trip. One of them is uh, just remembering the 1979 station wagon that we had as a family. Yes. And some of you that have never enjoyed a station wagon, I mean, this was the party wagon. It had the, it was green. Ours was green. It had that fake wood trim along the side, right? That uh, everyone is jealous of. Uh, we drove to California from Oklahoma. Yeah, that's the kind of family that we were. And uh, if you can imagine with three young kids driving to California, another, another memory I have the night before we left, I remember staying up late watching my dad on a do-it-yourself project putting window tinting on the inside of the station wagon by himself. So uh, as you can imagine, for a do-it-yourself project, lots of bubbles and uh, not, you know, the most professional job by dad there. I remember uh, it started curling uh, the first day, and my brother, as he sits by the fake you know, window tinting, that curling, he started just peeling that and then flicking it down the whole, the whole trip. Um, the other, one of the other big memories I have on that trip is my sister was two or three at the time and she had this, uh, little red tape recorder. Yes. Tape recorder. And that tape recorder, her favorite cassette tape was salty sing along. Some of you over here know salty, salty sing along was veggie tales before there was veggie tales. And I can still tell you today the name of that tape was Down by the Creek Bank. And we listened to that tape, side A and side B, over and over, all the way to California. And we were sick of salty sing-along down by the creek bank. I still remember it 35 years later because it was so annoying. But that's what we had. That was the music we had. I say that because this summer we are trying to offer you a better playlist than Salty Sing Along, okay? Some some of our friends are vacationing even this week. Uh, Some of you will vacation soon. Some of you already have vacation. But we have made a summer playlist for you on our website. If you go to our website, backslash psalms, we have some psalms remade by Shane and Shane, that they have taken the ancient psalms that we're looking at in this series and they have put them to modern music and they're beautiful. And I talked last week about how uh, when you pair the Word of God with music, the Word of God that has power in itself with music, something that is so powerful in our lives, and you put those two things together, that is quite a combination. And uh, you can have that on instead of salty or VeggieTales, and you can get that in the minds and hearts of your kids and they don't even know what you're doing, right? You're getting them the Word of God. If you don't want to go to our website and get that, you can go just to uh, iTunes or something and download the, the Psalms album by Shane and Shane. And every week, 
uh, the psalm that we're looking at, they have redone. They have remade. And uh, I encourage you to listen to those throughout the week. I encourage you to listen to those songs as you travel this summer. Today, we are looking at Psalm 63. Psalm 63. So go ahead and open in your Bibles to Psalm 63 with me. And uh, I want to pray before we look into Psalm 63. And I want to, before I pray, I want to ask you this question. Do you want to receive from the Lord this morning? Do you, do you want to hear from God this morning? I think God has something to say to us this morning in this psalm. And I just want to ask us the question, if we will not just be here physically, but be here mentally, be here spiritually, and receive whatever it is that God may want to do in our hearts in the next few minutes through his word. So I'd just like you to decide right now. Um, hey, I'm going to be here. God, I want to hear from you. Or if the answer is no, then just kind of admit that to yourself, confess that to yourself, and then feel free to check out for the next few minutes. But I want to ask God to touch our hearts and uh, even transform us in these minutes together, okay? Let's pray. Father, God, we come to you. Um, and God, as this psalm uh, shows us and teaches us, we come to you because we just so desperately need you. We, uh, we have a lot of things vying for our attention and for our heart's desire and for our priorities. And we just calm ourselves this morning and ask you to focus us and ask you, God, to speak to us through your holy word. And Holy Spirit, we do invite you in this place. We welcome you in this place and ask, God, that you would work powerfully in our hearts this morning and work powerfully through us in the days ahead as we scatter from this place to do your work. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As we open up Psalm 63, uh, I hope you have it right there in front of you. It won't be on the screen. But as we look at Psalm 63, we don't have to go uh, down very far before we need to have a little bit of discussion about what's happening in Psalm 63 to know the original context. And in my Bible, above Psalm 63, there's a heading that says, My soul thirsts for you. I imagine many of your translations have that same heading. But even before verse 1, we get this little heading that gives us the kind of historical context of what's happening as we get this psalm from David. Last week, as we introduced this series, uh, we looked at Psalm 98. I said many of the psalms are, are circumstance-less. We don't really know the exact time or the context when the psalm was written. That was true in Psalm 98. Today, we do have a hint to that. We do have a contextual clue right here in this heading. Now, the Bible, when we received the Bible, it was not originally written with chapter numbers and verse numbers. Okay, David was not sitting down and writing, okay, Psalm 63. Uh, that was added later by editors and the verse numbers for our help. But these headings that come before are traditional historical headings that have been given to the Psalms that, that do give us a traditional understanding of kind of when uh, this might have happened or what might be going on. So uh, most of your Bibles probably read just like mine, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. He's writing this, he's experiencing this while he was in the wilderness of Judah. 
Now, commentators that I looked at this week have two basic options for when this is happening in David's life, okay? Option number one is in 1 Samuel chapter 23, uh, is when he went to the wilderness. He was, went, he was going to the wilderness, fleeing to the wilderness. You may remember because Saul was out to kill him. Saul was the current king. David was great friends with Jonathan. Saul is getting threatened by David's popularity and his leadership skills. And uh, Saul is trying to, he's out to kill David. David has already been anointed to be the next king by Samuel. That's happened back in chapter 16, I believe. But uh, fearing for his life, 1 Samuel 23, David, this anointed king, flees out into the wilderness. That's option number one. Option number two is found in 2 Samuel chapter 15, if you want to read about that. He flees this time while he is the king because his son Absalom has basically got a kind of an effort of a coup to overthrow David as king. Absalom has gathered these followers around himself, and so now David's life is threatened again. And again, as God's king, he flees to this wilderness of Judah that is around uh, Jerusalem where uh, the king lived, where David was at the time. So option number one, he's fleeing from Saul. Option number two, he's fleeing from Absalom. Either way, he's fleeing and his life is in danger and he's in the wilderness. Point being, the Psalms were not written, are not written in an ivory tower. David is, is not writing this from a, a comfortable recliner. These are not ivory tower, ivory tower thoughts about God or philosophical musings. This is a guy that's running for his life. He's, he's in the wilderness. And that should comfort us uh, this morning as we read the Psalms. They're from real people in real hardship. Not just... Uh, as I said, philosophical musings, but real life stuff, pain. And any circumstance, any trial that you may be going through, the good news is that there probably is a psalm to express what you're going through. And here, David is in a wilderness experience. Maybe you feel like you're in a wilderness experience this morning. Here's a psalm for you. Maybe you feel like you've been abandoned or rejected there's a psalm for you. Maybe you feel like God has ab abandoned you. Maybe you're, you're in a season of sadness or depression. Next week, we're going to look at a psalm, a, a psalm of lament that really talks about sadness. And what I love about these psalms is the honesty of these psalm writers. That they say, man, I, I'm, I'm in a wilderness here. Man, God, where are you? They cry out honestly. The Bible is not hallmark sentimentality. Hey, you know, put a Band-Aid on it. Everything's going to be okay. Live happily ever after. These are real people with real problems crying out to God, in this case, in a wilderness or a desert. I was actually here, was reminded this week, 10 years ago, I was in this wilderness area. I was fortunate enough to go as a part of a seminary class to Israel for three weeks and study. And this is my picture from 10 years ago as we stopped our tour bus and got off to experience a little bit of the desert, a little bit of the wilderness of where David might have been here. This is probably also 
the place where Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 says he went out into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. This is what you're looking at. And uh, they tour guides dropped us off here. We got out of the bus and we each went and spent about 10 or 15 minutes in the heat. And you can see even the lens of my camera has kind of got a, a fog in it there from the cool bus moving out to this hot area. And we're seated there just spending some time uh, with the Lord in this arid, hot, stony, dry place. Better called a, a desert in my dictionary. I wondered this week as I thought about this, I wonder, I was like, as I sat there and I had that little devotion time, uh, I wonder what I was praying about and what I was thinking about as I sat there. And I went, so I dug out my journal from that trip and I opened it up to where we had pulled off the side of the road here and had this quiet time with the exception of the bus driver's cell phone going off out there. Sometimes you just can't get away from it. And as I read through my journal as we sat there, guess what I found? Guess what scripture I found that I was reading in that place? Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Look at it with me in the first, uh, just the first four verses there. David writes, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. What do you hear there from David's words? I hear a, a desperation, a thirst. God, my soul longs for you. I, God, I want you. I need you. You are my satisfaction. You are my sole satisfaction. What is also interesting to me here is that uh, while he's in the wilderness writing these words, David's not asking to get out of the wilderness. He's saying, God, let me find you satis let me find satisfaction in you while I'm in the wilderness. Man, when I'm in a wilderness season, my prayer is, God, get me out of this wilderness. Get me back to the city. Get me back to Jerusalem. Get me back to my nice house and, and let me be done with this trial. And, and what David here seems to be saying is, God, don't let me get through this wilderness without clinging to you more, without knowing you more. He's desperate. His thirst is not for water, but his thirst is for God. Again, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. We have to ask ourselves the question this morning do we seek God? Are we seeking God, or are we just actually seeking what God might give to us in this wilderness season? David here, he's, he's saying, God, it's, it's not your stuff. It's not your blessings that I need from you. It's, God, I need you. And notice that... that
comes for four of God moving me, I want to move too. I'm, I'm not yet satisfied either, and I know Jesus. In New Testament language, the Apostle Paul will talk about this. Like he'll, he'll say that we have the Holy Spirit, and a few weeks ago we were in Romans, and I was talking about the gift of salvation and the, and the gift that we get in the Holy Spirit once we come to know Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. But Paul will describe the Holy Spirit as a deposit, a good deposit guaranteeing our inheritance to come. What does that mean? It means in a very real sense, we have God now. We have the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. But guess what? We are still awaiting our full inheritance. God has quenched our thirst, but we are still, as the psalmist, as David says here, we are still thirsting for more. We still need more of God. Our neighbors need God. Our unsaved family members need God. But you and I, we need God more too. The things that we think we're thirsty for, the things that we think will give us soul satisfaction are really just pointers to what our soul really wants. And that's a deeper walk with God. God, I'm in the wilderness and don't let me get out of this wilderness until I experience your presence more, until I know you deeper. But there's some non-thirst quenchers that we pursue, isn't there? There's some soul non-satisfiers that we pursue instead of pursuing a deeper walk with God, aren't there? We seek it in stuff. We seek it in affirmation. We seek it in things. Just this week, I thought about how I asked myself the question, Ross, when you're on Facebook, scrolling through Facebook, what are you looking for? Well, I'm looking to see what my friends are up to. I want to know what's, what everybody's doing. I want to keep up. Yeah. But what are you looking for? What is it that you think your thumb is going to eventually come to and land on and be like, yeah, that's what I needed today? How many likes will it take to fill my soul? How many shares, how many views, how many tweets or retweets will I finally feel affirmed or my soul satisfied? It's a non-thirst quencher. Man, if I just got this perfect job, then life would be good. Then I would be satisfied. That perfect job or that perfect house, then I wouldn't have this thirst. Ladies, how, how many compliments would it take? Hey, you look nice today. That would make you feel like, now, now I feel pretty. I feel worthy. I feel affirmed as if someone loves me, someone cares for me. Why is it that the, all those things added up don't satisfy? For me, some, sometimes it's books. I think, you know, if I get this book, if I learn this skill, get this knowledge, then I'll, then I'll know. 
then I'll be, I'll be better equipped to do this or to lead this or just one more book to my thousands of, of library and, and, and then I'll have it. Then I'll, then I'll be able to get this. But with each book, I'm still inadequate and I'm still dissatisfied. How many likes does it take? How many thousands of dollars more annually a year will make me feel like now I've got it, you know? This is enough. This house is enough. This amount of income is enough. Why does it not satisfy? Because when we go after social media affirmation, when when we go after relational affirmation, when we go for money, what we're really saying, is, what we're really doing is cheapening our soul. We're saying, if, if I just had enough income, my, my soul would be full. And you're basically putting a, a dollar amount on your soul. But guess what? An eternal soul will only be fulfilled with an eternal God. There is no temporal thing. There's no temporal luxury. There's no, you know, two-week vacation that will fill my soul. There's no amount of affirmation from other people online or to my face that will make me satisfied. David cries out here, God, my soul longs for you. I need you. You're the only one that can heal the hole in this heart. It goes on, if you look, verses 5 through 8, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Some people find God uh, in the wilderness. It's true. Often that's true. People find God in the wilderness. What David is doing here, he knew God. He already knew God. And as he's in this wilderness, he experienced, he's knowing God deeper. He's saying, as, as I lay down, as I remember you upon my bed and I meditate upon your goodness in previous seasons and previous years, I'm reminded that nothing has gotten to me as you've protected me under the shadow of your wing. If you go into the wilderness experience, you may find God there. I hope that if you are not in a wilderness experience right now, you are developing the memories, you are developing the relationship with God that will sustain you as it did David for the time that that wilderness season comes, because it will come. It may come this afternoon, it may come a year from now, it may come on Monday morning, but there will be that wilderness experience. And you will need to recall back to your mind God's goodness and God's faithfulness. There are those, those times that we think God has abandoned me, God is distant from me, I mean, there are times that we walk through that wilderness like David and we realize that God is all I ever need. God is all I ever want. None of these other things could possibly satisfy my soul. Only God. Look at the personal 
nature of David's walk with God. If you look, go back to the first three verses, he starts verse 1. He says, Oh God, you are my God. And notice there that he, he's talking about God. David doesn't just call him God. He says, Oh God, my God. David has said in Psalm 19, he's looked up into the heavens. He was a shepherd boy. He saw God's creation. He saw the stars. He, he saw the extent of God's creation. He said, the heavens declared the glory of God. He knew there was a God. But right here in verse 1 of Psalm 63, he says, that God that created this amazing creation is not just God, but he's my God. He's not just the creator, but he's my heavenly father. He's my God. He knows God personally, and he, he knows more about God. If you look in verse uh, 2, he says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. He's seen God's power. He's seen God's glory. He knows the, the magnificence of God, the, the majesty of God. He's seen his power and his glory, and so he, he has this concept of God as huge. But look at how he gets even more personal in verse 3. He goes, it moves from his concept of God's power and glory to verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Not only did David know that God was powerful and glorious... But he knew that that God was his God, and he knew that that God's love was placed upon him. He said, your steadfast love for me, God, is better than life. The God that created everything looks down and loves David, a shepherd boy. He had this sense of God's amazing love for him that could sustain him in a wilderness. Not just his power, not just his glory, but his love centered upon people. Centered upon him. There was a theologian of a generation ago named Karl Barth. Karl Barth was very influential uh, during the Second World War and had a lot of influence on Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, and others as they fought Hitler and the Nazi regime and uh, withstood. Karl Barth, this uh, magnificent theologian, was speaking at the University of Chicago near the end of his life uh, on a panel. And one of the questions that came to Dr. Barth said, Dr. Barth, in all your studies, you've written this huge systematic theology. What is kind of the one observation you've made that has most impacted your life? And Barth answered that question by this. He said, the one thing that I've learned that has impacted my life the most is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Man, there is no other thing, there is no other accomplishment, there is no other success that would fill my soul other than God. So I want to ask myself this morning, I want to ask you this morning, is it God you want? Is, is God really your desire or 
or is it the things that God may give you? What do I want? I asked myself that question this week. What is it that I want? Is it I want is it that I want just this perfect little family that kind of lives this perfect cute life? Do I want God? Do I want a big influential church? Do I want God? There is nothing that my soul craves that will give me what only God can give me. And every other need or want, thing that we think we want, is really just a pointer to what we truly want and what we truly need, which is God himself. I can't... uh, I don't have time to go in to verses 9 through 11 to talk about that, but let me just summarize it by saying this. He talks about God's justice that will come on his enemies. And basically, you could just summarize that by saying David realizes that what is now will not always be. What is now will not always be. God will, will have justice. God will will bring justice to David's enemies. God will recreate and reform and renew this creation that he's made, and he will judge all things. What is now is not the final score. What will be is coming. I want to ask in uh, conclusion here, I just want to close by asking us each a question. Maybe you just want to bow your heads. The band's going to come up in a minute and play the words of this song for us, sing the words of this song for us. But I want you to just bow your head uh, with me this morning. And I just want to ask you, what are you, what is it you go to to quench your thirst? What are the non-thirst quenchers that you run to thinking this will do it? And just admit that to, to God. Just tell Him what substitutes you, you run to instead of Him. Father God, we we are such thirsty people. We are so dry so often. We are so weary so often. And Father, we run to affirmation. We run to dollars. We run to success or name recognition for ourselves instead of running to you. And Lord, I pray that, God, we would seek you as our sole satisfaction. God, that we wouldn't get through a wilderness season without coming to know you deeper and better through that season. 
that before you pull us out of that season, you would pull us closer. God, forgive us for going to wells that won't fill us, for seeking things that will never satisfy. And God, we thank you for giving us Jesus, living water. It's in his name we pray.